Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey, y'all. This is Josiah Gray, and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoy today's episode. Everybody. Welcome to Half Street High Heat and please welcome to the show Blake Finney who is joining us again. Thank you so much Blake as always. If you, you guys don't follow him already you should. You can get him on Twitter at Finney Blake and he is also available at Federal Baseball to see all of his writings. How you been? Thanks for coming on again. Yeah thanks for having me on and uh, hopefully a bit quieter than the last time I was on. <laughs> yeah we were joking before we start but yeah you, you sound great the accent is perfect I mean there's not a question of whether it's you know authentic or you know or not we can tell just because of how great you're sounding right now. <laughs> yeah it's all kismet. All right so let's start <laughs> with kind of a really broad question, which is how so far has the team kind of matched up with what you expected? Is it worse, better, the same? Obviously there were not high expectations going into the season. Yeah, I think uh, overall it's, I think the record is probably similar to what I was expecting. So they're 21 and 35 now, fourth worst record in baseball, kind of in the doldrums, maybe not the worst team in the league. We obviously saw a team in contention for that in the Reds over the weekend. But I think the probably the most concerning thing about the Nationals is kind of the sloppy way in which they've played through a bulk of the season. So in that first season against the Mets, I remember it was fantastic defensively. They made some incredible plays. And kind of ever since then, it's just been sloppy play after sloppy play, both in the field, on the bases, um, just not doing the fundamentals right. And it's something that, David Martinez is probably sick of talking about in his press conferences as well, about not giving teams extra outs at the plate. So when they're throwing the ball away, throwing it into the dugout, throwing it around the field and letting them trot around the bases, that's what he's 
most disappointed about. I think people can kind of forgive the Nationals for a lack of talent this year. And if they're just not hitting at the plate or their pitchers aren't quite up to scratch on the mound and just getting beaten by better teams, I think that's that becomes a lot easier to swallow for the Nationals, whereas it's the way that they've played to this point that is probably most concerning. And maybe they could be a bit worse off than their record shows at the moment. But yeah, I think overall it's probably about what we were expected and we're kind of going to be moving into the part of the season where we start to see some of these younger players. Like we had Luis Garcia come up this weekend against the Reds. We've got some of the others in AAA who are on the fringes. So hopefully we kind of move past that a little bit. We're going to get some rookie mistakes as we move on in the season and the team inevitably gets younger, especially past the trade deadline. But yeah, that that's kind of where I am at the grand scale in terms of this team. Yeah. It can't happen soon enough for the young players. (laughs) It's funny you mentioned that because that was going to be my first question, uh, especially with the defense that we talked about on a few of our episodes, because there was more than just one series where the defense reared its ugly head. Um, And especially that left side of the infield with Alcides Escobar and Michael Franco, as it was on opening day and early on in the season, uh, you know, everyone was like, oh, Luis Garcia needs more time in AAA to work on his defense when he literally could not have been any worse than Alcides Escobar and Escobar wasn't even hitting. So, you know, that that was fun and, you know, definitely no service time manipulation going on there. But uh, I want to ask you uh, about David Martinez and just uh, kind of same question, but to his performance as, as a manager, because obviously it's very different. He was brought in in 2018 with high expectations and obviously everyone knows what happened in 2019, but for the most of his tenure here, arguably the entire tenure, they've had high expectations up until this season where it's, you know, a rebuild, a retool, whatever you want to call it. A lot of young guys, a lot of turnover. How good of a job do you think he he's been doing? And I know it seems like he's in a contract year. Do you see him sticking around for the long haul or is it a, possibility we could get a new manager with kind of the state of team and flux and possibly up for sale yeah I think I think it's a a fair point to raise at this point obviously when Davey came in in 2018 that was you could argue that was the best team that he had even a potentially better roster than he had in 2019 when even though they had that terrible start they went on to win the world series you could argue that 2018 was more talented than that 2019 team. So there's definitely been a sense of underachievement for that. 2020 was the COVID year. That was a bit weird. You had a lot of people going down with injuries. Um, I think you would have been happy to write that off if things had gotten better in 2021 and 2022. Now, a lot of that isn't on Davey. I think even in 2021, last year, the talent wasn't there to make the post season I think the talent was there to do better than they were at before the trade deadline and then sold everyone off and then you kind of understand them falling off a cliff then but I think they had the talent to be around 500 around the trade deadline there and the fact that they were below that you kind of look at Davy Martinez and go is he underachieving with the team on the field because I think when I try and look at it I try and look at it when you've got the general manager who's building the roster is the roster talented enough to do this And you have the manager who kind of has to get them to that point or get them to overachieve. And sometimes you look at individual players, whether they're 
kind of achieving what they should be on the field. And sometimes Davy doesn't. Obviously, pretty much everyone played up to what they should be that second half of 2019. But there are some players who kind of fall off. Um, you'd like look, looked at the start that Nelson Cruz had. Obviously, he's picked it up lately. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a lot of the things on the field and especially the sloppy play. And perhaps what sticks out most to me is the amount of times that especially over the last three years that Davey has stressed the little things, making sure to get it right on the field. And they still don't like sometimes you have guys like Michael Franco, you know, he's going to be not great in the field, probably one of the worst defensive third baseman in the league. But then you look at some of the other guys, Soto has taken a step back defensively massively this year. And that's probably something that's not getting talked about a whole lot because he was a a gold glove finalist. I can't remember if it was 2020 or 20. It, it was some year he was a gold glove finalist. And now is he one of the worst right fielders in baseball? You can make that case from what we've seen this year. So it's the fact that they put emphasis on a lot of these things and it still doesn't get resolved. And these are a lot of veterans as well doing it. It's not the rookie mistakes and taking the lumps as rookies in the field. We've seen, we saw with Luis Garcia, like you mentioned, um, he couldn't do a lot worse than Alcides Escobar, but He's still not been great, at least this weekend, and maybe that will improve as he gets more comfortable at shortstop because he was playing a lot of second and third base last season because um, they had Trey Turner at short, so they were trying to find another way to bring him up. So it, it's a difficult question. I think in the end, you probably keep him on. for. I think, like you say, his contract is due to expire this year, but I think the Washington Post reported that he had an option for next year. So I think that's probably the simplest thing, especially with the ownership change, it's probably best not to rock the boat before that, both at a GM and manager level. But yeah, I think there definitely does need to be a microscope on Davy at least for the next year and a bit. And you can kind of let it play out, see if he can cement his position. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, when you have a, a talent, a, a roster with a lack of talent, it's hard to just blame the manager. Hmm. But I do think it's it's fair at this point, you know, this many years into his tenure here, to look at the the way that they play defense, the the bad base running, the just when you have so many guys who are not playing. You mentioned how some guys overachieved and some guys have underachieved. When you have so many players underachieving, and not just young players, but you know, veteran players who've played better in, you know, in other years in the past, I just, to me, it feels like there's a coaching issue. So I, I don't know that ownership feels that way, or even if ownership is interested in making that decision, I think you're right. Just kicking the can down the road till the new ownership group can, you know, make a decision on dating. Decide, right. Yeah. Is hmm. probably what we're going to see happen, but I don't know. I, I, I don't think he's long. I don't think he's going to be one of those managers who stays here for 20 years. Yeah. And I think, you've gotten to the point where he's gotten his feet wet as a manager and as a manager, I I don't know, but in his defense, and I'll take it away from being completely negative on him. He's arguably one of the best player managers mm -hmm. I've seen mm -hmm. in terms of keeping them on side. And they even love though, playing for him. Yeah, exactly. Like even at 19 and 31 in 2019, he was the same guy every single day, whether they were on a five game losing streak or five game winning streak. And everyone absolutely adores Davey from the front office to the dugout to the um, to the locker room. Like he's he's just a great person, and that comes across in his players. Now, whether there's the coaching skills and the managerial skills, that's still 
up in the air. Obviously, he managed in October perfectly. It's kind of it, it's funny when the Nationals let go of Dusty Baker, you had someone who managed perfectly in the regular season and always seemed to find a way to mismanage a little bit in the postseason where you had Davey and he was perhaps not great in the regular season until the second half of 2019. But in the playoffs in 2019, he managed absolutely flawlessly. You could you could maybe nitpick one or two things, but when the pressure was there... You have to pick there, one or the other. <laughs> yeah, it, it's... um. It's a tough choice. You get the you get the monkey's paw. You go, well, he may not be great in the regular season, but you get to October and he manages the pressure. He keeps the locker room light. And yeah, you saw the results of that in 2019. So it, it's a tough one um, and not one that there's a good answer for, I don't think. And one thing I will always say about Davey is uh, the dude always knows when to get thrown out of a game. <laughs> yeah. He has like, impeccable he, timing with that. <laughs> he he, he is really what, does. like three for three, maybe four for four in doing that. He always the right time. And he even, throws if, a very proper tantrum, which I can truly appreciate. Even when he was on one leg at the end of last season, he was <laughs> right. still hop, hopping around, shouting and uh, cursing even at the when, umpires. Uh, I think it was 2019. He was having his heart issues. He was still <laughs> out there getting thrown out, like laying his life on the line. And that, that's, a, <laughs> Maybe that's, another, literally. Yeah. that's another check in the column of what players love about him. He, he goes out to bat for them, both in the press conferences and on the field for, mm-hmm. against the umpires. So, yeah, whether the managerial stuff, we're still kind of trying to figure out, I guess, from a player's perspective, he's one of the one of some of the players' favorite managers to play for. All right, well, let's keep with the, the positivity here. Positive vibes only tonight. Um, what are some bright spots that you would point out, Blake, to fans who are feeling discouraged by how bad this team is right now? And I know for those of us who follow the team really closely, we all expected, you know, the team to be, you know, pretty piss poor this year. But I think for the more casual fans who aren't used to seeing this team, you know, be horrible, because it's been quite a while. Um, what do you, what would you say to them that are some some things they should be you know excited about, looking forward to for the future? What are, what are the bright spots? Uh, I think um, obviously the the default is some of the younger players, but when you start to key in on some of them, Kebir Ruiz has been I wouldn't say necessarily a re- revelation, but I think he's performing up to what he probably should be at this point. Maybe my bold prediction of him as an yeah, all star is uh, a uh-huh. bit a bit premature, but kind of especially behind the plate like you saw that heads up play that uh, end the series in Cincinnati like from a baseball IQ perspective he's on there he's thrown out runners he's been fantastically fantastic defensively and game calling pitchers are enjoying throwing to him so maybe the offense will come I think the the big thing for Ruiz with offense is it's funny um, and I think Jesse Doherty had a po- had a piece in the Washington Post towards the end of May, I think it was, about how Cabo Ruiz is so good at making contact that he's actually making contact with bad pitches that are kind of painted on the corner of the zone or just outside the zone. And he's kind of working his way into soft contact that way where they want to kind of get in the keyhole a bit more on pitches that he can drive and get a bit more power out of him. Because you see the batting average, you see the on-base percentage, the walk percentage, the strikeout percentage. That's all really good for what he is right now, especially in... Uh, technically not his rookie year, even though it kind of is his first full season in the majors. But it's the it's the power that he had towards the upper minors that you kind of want to see a little bit more from. But I think on the whole, his development has been positive. Josiah Gray is a bit more hit and miss. We saw him start the season really well, and 
he was figuring himself out, kind of adjusting to how pitches adjusted him at the end of 2021. Uh, and now he's coming back down to earth a little bit. But I think on the whole, he looks like he's someone who's going to be a solid part of the rotation, perhaps not a one or a two that people may have hoped for. Um, so I think the development there and the Nationals may finally have a reasonable bullpen. Maybe not great, but reasonable. If only the starting pitching could give them a lead. I'll take reasonable. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll but yeah, like Tanner Rainey's been pretty good. Uh, I think his only real meltdown was the one in Anaheim where the Angels got to him in the ninth. And with that lineup, that's kind of forgivable. Kyle Finnegan had a couple poor spots, but has generally been pretty good. They found some guys off the scrap heap. Carl Edwards Jr. has been fantastic since his first appearance. Uh, Victor Arano, hopefully the Nationals are hopeful that he's okay um, after his injury in the series finale in Cincinnati. So they've, they've put together a reasonable bullpen. Um, that's another thing that I think people can look to. And I think a lot of the prospect development, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit as well, has been good to see. You've seen Kay Cavalli have some struggles early on in the year, but he seems to be coming along nicely and kind of harnessing the stuff a bit more. And the commander has been a lot better, according to reports down in Rochester. Cole Henry has made the jump up to AAA as well. The second round pick from that 2020 draft after being lights out in AA. The Fred Nats, the Fred Nats probably aren't getting enough love at the moment for what they're mm-hmm. doing with their prospect development. Brady House, maybe he's called off a little bit, but he's still developing as expected and being a big part of their lineup. Sammy Infante, Jeremy De La Rosa, they've had some of the pitching prospects down there that have been doing well. So I think they're a particular positive as well, that the future is a lot brighter potentially in two or three years. Obviously, the farm system still does need to get better, and a lot of that will come in the next draft or two. Um, but yeah, I think there's definitely stuff to look forward to, even if a lot of the major league roster is um, less than ideal at the moment. Dreadful is the word you're looking for. Yeah, I, I put it nicely. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely did not agree to Amanda's positive vibes only. Uh, I will you know, <laughs> well, proceed on It's tr- It's literally path. impossible in, in, <laughs> in a podcast about this year's nationals. So yeah. Um, someone I want to talk about, and I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say he's been the best player all season long for the Nats, and that's Josh Bell. Um, you know, everyone can dive into the stats and, and how he's been since basically last May, and you know, excuse his first month of the 2021 season, and he's been dynamite like that. That trade has paid off, and then some. Um, but looking at the state of this team, and obviously with the trade deadline looming just about a month, uh, just over a month. Is it a foregone conclusion that Josh Bell is gone? I, I think so. I, I would be very surprised if he stayed at this point. I think the only things that are going to keep him from staying are, or keep him from going are injury. So if he gets a big injury that takes him out for the season, I think the Nationals are better to just hold on and give him a qualifying offer. Um, and the only other thing is if they come to some sort of extension or make some sort of progress on that, which at this point he's a Scott Boris client. And with the way that he's hit, like you say, since that first month, month and a bit of last season, he's hit fantastically um, and he's going to get a decent contract this off season. So um, they may also be pushing for a trade as well, because if he gets traded, he's then not eligible for a qualifying offer. So mm, that's um, a good point. Or is the, uh, this, yeah, the qualifying offer is still in place. They've got to figure out the international draft, I think. I was right. Yeah. Uh, get getting more flashbacks to the CBA talks this offseason. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so glad that's over. Good <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think so. And I think with the way he's hitting, 
and the universal DH adds 14 other teams. Well, maybe not 14, but you get you get the point. It adds the other the NL into the trade market as well for him to find a place for him first base DH. I'm sure teams will find a spot for him, especially a switch hitter who's hitting that well. And then maybe he comes back in the offseason. I, I find that a bit less likely. Um, but yeah, it would it would have been nice to have some consistent presence during this rebuild process other than one solo. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um it just it, it I mean we we talked about it and obviously you you know this, but just with how talent rich this past free agent crop was, it, it's a shame they didn't add another legitimate building block or at least you know extend Josh Bell when his price tag probably would have been a little bit more reasonable. But now, you know, these players only get so uh, many chances to cash in and Josh Bell seemingly is going to do that. Uh, I do want to look around the other or the, the rest of the team and just get your quick take on whether or not they'll stick around past the trade deadline. If you'll do some rapid fire with me. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, Cesar Hernandez, is he staying or do you think he's gone? I think he'll go. I think they can, they can find someone to man the middle infield and he's probably doing just about enough. I think the question with Cesar Hernandez is, is someone going to be interested in him? Because he was a little, little underwhelming to start the year, especially not necessarily taking the walks that he probably should have. But I think with the way that he's at least racked up the hits, he got traded. I think he got traded last season from uh, the yes, Guardians to the White Sox. He, White I think Sox, it was. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there'll probably be a market. I wouldn't expect too much back for him, but I think he'll go. Okay. Uh, what about Steve Ciszek? Yeah, I think he's another one that other teams will at least float some low-level prospect or someone that may be off the 40-man if they've got a 40-man roster crunch before the Rule 5 draft. So I think he's done okay. He had a couple meltdowns early on, but I think he solidified it. He closed a couple game couple games out for the Nationals recently, so... I think he's another one, and he was brought in on a one-year deal, so I think it was pretty much the plan all along to try and trade him at the deadline. Yep, I would agree. Uh, what about Carl Edwards Jr.? You mentioned he's had uh, some great appearances for the Nats. Do you think he could be moved? Uh, that's a tricky one. I would guess yes. He's a he's a free agent after this year, I think I checked, and I think he has enough service time to uh, become a free agent after this year, so the Nationals wouldn't be able to kind of control him for another couple of years. And I think if he performs as he is doing, then I think he could get traded. Um, but he he's a bit more of a wild card. I think C-Sheck is someone who's got a long track record of success in the major leagues, whereas Carl Edwards Jr., he started off really well with the Cubs and kind of fell off that, especially lately in the majors. So if he has some bumps in the road in July, then he may end up staying. Yep, I can see that. Uh, we're going to stick with the wild cards. Uh, what about Yadiel Hernandez? I don't think so, but I think he's someone that they should kind of feel out the market for. Obviously, he turns 35 later this year, so he's probably not someone that's going to be on the next contending Nationals team. And he does have team control through 2026. So if someone does want to take a chance on maybe one, two more years of him being a solid here, then the Nationals could get a reasonable prospect for him in return, given the team control. And I think that's what a lot of teams do look for, but I don't think they're going to get what they would want for Yadiel Hernandez at the trade deadline. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to sell someone on a 35 year old designated hitter. Yeah. Um, 
but hey, if, if we can get something for him, you know, trade yeah, everything I, that's not nailed down. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's the attitude that Nationals should have. They should try and trade him, but they've also got to realize that maybe he can keep hitting, maybe see what they can get in the offseason if they can do something there. Like They don't have to try and trade him at this deadline if the offers aren't out there. Right. Uh, what about D. Strange Gordon, who's kind of proven himself to be a, a pretty serviceable utility guy? Um, I think he'll stick around. I, I haven't been overly impressed with him. He's been very um, kind of a, a one-dimensional player in terms of just getting singles and maybe some speed on the bases. Um, I, I don't think there's going to be a huge market for him. But having said that, Terrence Gore always seems to find his way onto a postseason roster so maybe someone right. would chuck in like a player to be named later for d strange gordon but i i wouldn't get my hopes up i will take a player to be named later those are my <laughs> favorites um and last one i mean i'm not including nelson cruz on this list because i would assume he's going yeah. to get moved especially especially now that he's heated up at the plate as right well, i think exactly which conclusion. is uh nothing but good for the nats uh the last one on this list is one that you know kind of polarizing at this point and i include i i've been on this horse for a while amanda knows this but jeff passan included him in the players to watch that could be traded at the deadline that is victor robles do you see a world where victor robles is traded at the deadline probably not um i think the the thing with robles is is such a sell low like at this point you're you're better off trying to gamble on the talent. I think he's a free agent after 2024. So you've still got time to try and gamble on it. But the, the flip side of that is, is he a non-tender candidate this offseason or potentially next offseason? Like, do you still want to try and see what you can get? I don't know if there's a massive market for kind of gold glove center fielders who don't hit at all. Maybe, and maybe some <laughs> team who goes for this guy with team control who has the potential and could be an absolute steal if some team is able to sprinkle some magic pic- magic pixie dust on the on the bat and get him back to sort of his 2019 levels. Um, but I think Victor Robles is, he's probably the player that the Nationals want to find out the rest of this season, whether he's someone they can build on. And if he doesn't prove it by the end of the season, I think that that could be it for him with the Nationals, either traded or let go this offseason. I think they may want those last two months just to make absolutely sure on their decision with him. So I, I could see it if a team is prepared to pay a little over the odds and gamble on the upside. But I, I think this kind of season is exactly when you want to try and figure that out with Robles. If he is non-tendered or released or whatever, I will have a, I, I will burn down Nats Park. <laughs> because of all the possibilities, all the trades they said no to because he was untouchable. And turns out they could not develop him. Or, or maybe he was just a bus and he was never going to be developed. Whatever the case may be, if they just release him, I will lose it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm going to not react well if and when that happens. Yep. I will yeah, be I, it, very pissy on Twitter that day. It's such a tough spot. I we, we talked about it on the season preview. He's arguably the most talented player on the team, you could argue. So you've got to try and figure it out and give it as much time as possible. And yeah, if it does come to the offseason, it wouldn't shock me. I don't think he would get non-tendered. But at this point, 
that last two months is probably going to be more valuable to figure out whether you're going to keep him or not than the sell low type of prospect that you would get in return for Robles. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to argue with that. It's just, wow. What is that the most disappointing prospect in the history of this ball club? (laughs) Maybe so like just for the sheer, you know, expectations versus Mm. what you've got. An amount of time that they gave him too, because they gave up on Giolito pretty quickly. So yeah, absolutely. And you know, at some point though, you have to say like, can we waste a roster spot on this guy anymore? You know, the market, as you mentioned, Blake, for people who don't hit at all is, is pretty slim. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I want to shift gears a little bit here and talk about the starting rotation um, or what passes for a starting rotation (laughs) right now. Um, First is Ross. Is he done for good? I think he's probably done for good. What do you guys? Yeah, I think, I think he had surgery a couple weeks ago. I think it was now, or maybe a week ago. So yeah, I think he's done for the, he's done for the rest of the season and, this was his contract year as well. So he's going to accrue the service time that he needs to become a free agent while he's on the injured list the rest of this year. So that's him done for the season and potentially with the nationals, obviously it's the only organization he's ever known. Maybe he comes back on a cheap one year deal to try and reprove his health and kind of stick with what he knows. Or maybe he, I don't know, goes to San Diego or something to try and reprove himself. So with the nationals, yeah, I think he's done this season and potentially his tenure with the nationals good night my sweet prince i love <laughs> i know that's a tough one for nick that's a tough one so um how about strasburg um obviously imminent return um he's been looking pretty decent um you know with all the required caveats about minor league hitting um what do we think we've been talking for so long on the podcast about how we just have no idea who this guy even is anymore um is he going to come back and, and be some semblance of the Strasbourg that we've known in the past? Yeah, I think um, along. So when I mentioned Victor Robles was one of the key things that the nationals are going to be watching and how he performs. Steven Strasbourg is probably up there too, because you look at it and there's pretty much no pressure on him this year. So he's got a chance to try and figure out how he's going to work with what he has now. So obviously thoracic outlet, syndrome is something that major leaguers are still trying to figure out how to recover from um so it's going to be kind of a discovery process for him in terms of how he's going to come back in a season that doesn't mean a whole lot and how he can at least try and or the nationals can salvage some value from that contract that he signed a couple years ago so that's going to be interesting obviously the reports down in the mine leagues were Relatively promising. I think he threw 13 innings, 13 strikeouts, six walks, four hits allowed. Obviously, bear in mind the competition there, one start at single A, uh, two starts at single A and one at triple A, I think. Um, So he could be returning this Thursday. He's going to make the trip down with the team to Miami. uh, And they've announced that Adon is going Tuesday, Gray's going Wednesday, and it's TBD on Thursday. So we might get our first look at Strasbourg, but I... I would still have pretty limited expectations. I know that the Nats are pretty happy on the reports from the minor leagues on Strasbourg, but uh, other players have looked promising in their return from TOS. Matt Harvey was kind of okay, and pe- the Mets seemed pretty happy with where he was at after that. And then he got back to the main majors and was a, a train wreck. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's low pressure, and I don't think there's going to be um, a lot of expectations on him. They've just got to kind of figure out what sort of pitcher he is 
now. And he, he's proven it before when he had the upper 90s, 100-mile-an-hour fastball. And then as the years have gone on, he's still been able to have success. So even in 2019, when he was probably sitting in the mid-90s compared to what he was at the start of his career, he's been able to adapt to that and been able to come more of a pitcher than a thrower, to use a cliche. So <laughs> when he had all that velocity, he was able to just blow his incredible stuff stuff past everyone but he's kind of become a bit more finesse since then so is it just another case of that he is able to adapt but will he be able to adapt to this point after thoracic outlet syndrome well that is the sixty-four thousand dollar question as they say or the hundred and how many millions what was it hundred and well it's definitely more than sixty-four thousand. <laughs> i can tell you that well speaking <laughs> of albatross starting pitching contracts what the hell are they going to do about patrick corbin like at this point like, should he just go to the bullpen for a while? Should he have like a, a phantom IL stint? Do they just DFA him? I mean, oh my God, what are they going to do? I cannot watch this man every five days. I think uh, what, what they're going to do is watch the three innings from game seven of the World Series over and over again. <laughs> just pretend what's happening now is kind of happening in some dystopian land. But yeah, it, it's a tough one because you've still got three more years of that contract, I believe. Oh God. Uh, so... Yeah, it, it's going to be painful. And the, the Nationals are just continually at a loss as to what to do. So they've kind of looked at the spin rates. They've looked at the velo, which was poor at the start of 2020. But I think it came back towards the end of there and was pretty much all the way back last season. But you were still getting shelled and being one of the worst pitchers in baseball, which he probably has been since the World Series, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that contract, he's not someone who you're going to be able to dangle as a a trade chip unless you eat pretty much 90% of that contract probably and someone hopes that he gets better so you kind of have to ride it out and it's kind of a similar philosophy to what they were trying to do with Austin both obviously that's a lot lower stakes <laughs> and they just ended up designating for designating him for assignment but I don't know if you read the the piece by yep. Jesse Doherty he 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 owes me something for the amount of times that I've mentioned him on this podcast so far but um <laughs> the amount the the Nationals were basically holding on to him specifically because they saw some of his peripherals and thought we could probably, if he can get on a hot stretch and start to shut people down for a few weeks, a few appearances, maybe they could flip him at the deadline for something and gamble on those peripherals. And that's kind of where they're at with Patrick Corbin. They see these peripherals and they just can't figure out the the magic thing that's going to click him back towards where he was in 2019 I don't think he's going to get all the way back at any point but if they can even get something vaguely resembling that at something like I don't know three and a half to 3.8 ERA or something like that then that's a win and maybe something they could flip in a couple years when he's coming towards the end of that deal so yeah it's tough you just kind of got to ride it out and try as many things as possible and there's not an easy way around it he's just gonna be part of the furniture I think for this uh this rebuild what do you think of the idea of moving him to the bullpen it's kind of been you know people have been talking about that obviously he'd be the most expensive reliever in baseball but you know he can often put together a good inning or two like is there something to the fact like this is a sunk cost right you're paying the man the money you signed the contract for but would it be better to instead of trotting him out there every five days to get shelled to just move him to the bullpen and get some value out of the out of the man while he's still here well, if, Christ if, did it I was going to, that, that was exactly what I was going to say. He wouldn't be the most expensive reliever. David Price <laughs> would take that. But um, it, it's possible. I think the 
the catch with that is they don't necessarily have enough prospects banging on the door, banging on the major league roster that are going to um, make can't a be case worse. for that rotation spot. I mean, well, how much yeah, worse is going to be? I think um, it, this is the part of the development thing. You may not necessarily have the best 28, no, we're at 27 now, 26 or 27. The, we're at 20 something, 20 something man roster. You're not going to have the best 20 something players on the roster at the moment because especially for the first month or so of the season, Luis Garcia was clearly a better player than Alcides Escobar, for instance. But what the Nationals are trying to do is make sure that their players are fully developed. That's why they're not calling up Cade Cavalli, for instance, who is clearly better than Corbin, is probably better than Johan Adon at this point. But the thing with Cade Cavalli is he needs to work on getting more experienced hitters out and keeping that command deep into starts. That's what they want him to do at AAA. They don't want him to get shelled in the big leagues because that's probably what he would get right now. So that's why you're keeping Patrick Corbin to try and keep salvaging something. Maybe you put him in the bullpen. He succeeded there with Arizona. I think he, uh, he had his all-star season, I believe. And then he had an abysmal season and ended up in the bullpen. And he's kind of going to the bullpen that reinvigorated him to get him that big contract with the Nationals. So it is potentially something, but in terms of the rotation, I think in order to do that, you have to have someone who's banging down the door. And maybe in August, you get to that point if Cavalli's up, if Cole Henry continues to absolutely deal in the minor leagues and they see enough of his development in AAA to think that he's ready for the big leagues. And then you maybe have the crunch and you shift Patrick Corbin to the bullpen to try and get him going as well. But I think until that point, you're probably just going to see him in the rotation and the Nationals are just going to keep trying to salvage what they can out of him. Yeah, you, you make a great point uh, with the, uh, I don't want to say possibility because I, I don't see it as a possibility. I, I think they're, well, for that amount of money and the way this team is, you're going to keep putting him out there every fifth day and just pray to the baseball gods that he turns it around mm-hmm. even though the peripherals and on-field performance and literally everything is telling you otherwise um but you don't want to you know put him in the bullpen and thrust a, a young guy in there if they're not ready and that brings me to yana don uh he had a good start at the end of last year you know it was kind of a cool story to see him make the opening day uh you know, rotation and whatnot. But at this point he's had a couple of good starts, but the majority of the season thus far has been not so good and he's still very young. So I'm not trying to indict him and project on his career through 10 starts or whatever it's been so far, but has there been any thought to, Hey, let's just get him back down to triple a so he can continue work on stuff without getting shelled every fifth day and just, you know, potentially losing confidence. Yeah, I think he's he's not quite lost the confidence yet. I think you've still seen him trying to go attack hitters, but I think we've also seen why there are a lot of reliever concerns when he was coming towards the top end of the minors because mm-hmm. sometimes early in games, you see him attack people with the fastball and the slider. And when he's got those two pitches, he, he can he can handle anyone in the major leagues, but I don't think he's got that fully developed arsenal and potentially the control and command there as well to last deep into games. Um, so that that's probably the more pressing concern for me is that his arsenal isn't quite fully there yet. 
whether it gets there or not, we'll see long term. So it, it, it may be another option of have they got someone who is going to um, benefit from the major league starts more than Johan Adon. Maybe you get Jackson Tetrio up at some point who's pitched pretty well in AAA. I don't think he's ever going to be someone that's going to be a fantastic major league starter. He can be someone who can eat some innings, be a four or five if things work out well. Maybe at some point they give him a go. But I think Johan Adon is he's someone who you are trying to figure out, especially get getting that Arsenal up to a major league standard. And maybe the best way to do that is in the major leagues. I'm I'm far from the expert in that. And I think that's what the front office are trying to do right now. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think, uh, you know, if you had to guess, and I'm not, you're obviously not the, the Nationals GM, although never say never. Um, do you think, Adon is going to be a starter or do you think at some point he makes the transition to a reliever? Yeah, I think, I think at some point he does end up in the bullpen, especially with some of the pitching prospects that they've got coming. So they've got Cavalli, they've got Henry, they've got um, Andrew Lara, obviously in high A right now. Um, So they've got some of their good pitching prospects who may be a few years away. So I think they'll still try and keep Adon as a starter. But I think from what I've seen with, the fact that he's got a great fastball, a great slider, doesn't have the rest of that arsenal. I think eventually he's going to get there. And um, I would I would say compare him to how Austin both started in the rotation and uh, moved to the bullpen, which worked fine for maybe like six months, but now uh, DFA, so maybe that's not the best example. But <laughs> I, yeah, I think, especially with the pitching arsenal, I think long-term he's a reliever. Right. And I, I think... I think when people hear that, they might view it a, a, as a bad thing. I mean, every team needs relievers. It doesn't mean he, he's not a, a good pitcher or anything like that. Well, yeah, I, I, especially yeah. with, I was going to say, with the with those two top pitches, you could see him potentially develop into a pretty valuable setup man. Maybe not mm-hmm. a closer. I don't know if he's quite there, but yeah, someone, someone could end up like that. I'm trying to think of a uh, recent example, but my mind is... Uh, not working didn't um <laughs> i don't know my if, life. Uh, i'm mixing up yankees relievers but i believe batantis did that if i'm not mistaken or yeah, maybe the, it was the, yankees, the yankees have a lot of them the wiseger definitely was a starter and michael king was a starter in the minor leagues as well so they develop a lot of players like that who it works get get towards the upper minors don't quite have enough to get the more veteran more experienced hitters out and then flourish in the bullpen where they can let loose for an inning or two. Like we we saw Adon's velocity pick up in, I think it was in the start in Miami. So if he could mm-hmm. bring that, maybe go up a, a mile an hour or so on the fastball and slider, then yeah, could develop into a pretty good reliever. Let loose for an inning. Yeah. I'd love to see it. Who knows? It could be, you know, the next dominant closer. Never say never. Mm-hmm. Um, before we let you go, I do want to talk about some of the young guys, the young arms we've been kind of teasing all episode. We'll start uh, you know, with the most obvious, and that's obviously Cade Cavalli. Uh, when do you think he makes his major league debut? I I think it will be after the All Star break, so potentially in between the All Star break and the trade deadline. I think it's not a case of trying to um, trade off a starter. I think the only the only starter who probably has some trade value who they could consider trading is Eric Fetty and. 
lately he's fallen back a little <laughs> bit to form. So I, I don't think there's like a trade chip in the way. So I think they're going to call him up when he's ready. And I think he is getting towards that point. Like I said, at the start of the year, the command was still a bit iffy, but the last two, three starts, he's been a lot better on that. The strikeouts have dipped a little bit, but I guess you you take that if the command's a lot better and he's going deep into starts. I think he pitched a complete game the other day, if I'm not mistaken. So that's exactly what the Nationals want to see from his development. So I I think he could be up between the All-Star break and the trade deadline. But he'll definitely be up at some point and get plenty of starts at the Major Leagues this season. This is a completely hypothetical situation, but I'm just like looking at you know, the roster in front of me for AAA. And I see his birthday is on August 14th. So that would be kind of like a cool story. Like, hey, make your major league debut on your birthday. I don't know. It, just, just it seems like something the Nats would 100% do. It also seems like the Nationals, they would get rained out that day probably. <laughs> yeah, that's also true. Um, the, the other arm, the big arm that's kind of been trending up and I think has also been kind of lost in the shuffle just because obviously we got Josiah Gray and Kate Cavalli, but Cole Henry is very much a, a big name to watch. Uh, when do you think he makes his debut and what's kind of the, uh, the, the sense and the vibe and the feeling of Cole Henry as a major leaguer? Cause again, he has kind of gotten lost behind the Cavallis and the Grays in that system. Yeah, so when when the Nationals drafted him, I think they paid a fair bit over slot to take him in the second round because he had enough talent to go in the first round. I think injuries held him back at LSU a little bit. So he could well have stayed and built up his draft stock a bit more and gone in the first round had he stayed. So the Nationals had to go out and get him. And he was someone who I believe they rated as a back-end first rounder when they took him, which is why they went so aggressively after him. I think... For Cole Henry, though, because of those injuries and the fact that he hasn't, um, he wasn't a bit of a workhorse like Cavalli was last season, who pitched 130 innings or so. Cole Henry also had some injury concerns last year. So I think they're being a lot more cautious with him. And we've seen that in terms of his starts going perhaps five, six innings at most. So I think they're keen to manage him. So I wouldn't, I don't think he's going to make his major league debut this year. He, he could completely blow the doors off in AAA and make make himself a must call up in like August but I don't think it's going to be that way I think he's he's got a bit more finesse than Kay Cavalli and he lacks the the overpowering stuff that Cavalli has but I think AAA is going to test him again and I think they're also going to try and restrict his innings a little bit so maybe they shut him down at the end of August just to make sure that he's not pushing himself too far with the innings. So I think he's someone who's more likely to debut maybe May, June time next year because of that. But yeah, I, I think they, they like him a lot. And I think their faith in uh, faith in him when they drafted him has been proven pretty, pretty well at this point, given how he performed in double A to start the year. And they hope that he can continue that in triple A. I would honestly love that strategy because it feels like the Nats have more often than not rushed guys to the majors and it would be nice to see them take their time with a, a you know high prospect a high value prospect uh, and obviously and, we're kind of afforded the time based on how we're performing at the major league level yeah too. i was gonna say then they're not in a rush to try and get him up for next year i don't think they're expecting to compete next year i think next year is the year they hope to take a step so they'll be more than happy to try and call him up next year and have him 
try and help build the foundation rather than trying to go ahead and compete next year. So they can take a little bit of time, make sure he's not pushing himself with his injury history and with the lack of professional winning. So yeah, I think, I think they'll be pretty cautious with him in AAA, but obviously they've got a lot of eyes on his development. Yeah, absolutely. And final question for me uh, about the arms. Uh, we saw Evan Lee make his debut. Uh, you mentioned De- Jackson Tet- Tetralt. Uh, is there one of those guys or any other arms in-, in the system you could see making an impact? Let's call it by 2025. By 2025? Oh, that, g- that gives me a lot of options. Yeah, because I-, I wanted to include <laughs> the you know, high A guys as well who, who might need a little bit more time. I I wouldn't be surprised to see Andre Lara pushing the major leagues at that point. I think when he when he signed with the Nationals, they noted how advanced he was for how young he was. So I think he's 18, 19 at the moment and doing pretty well. Obviously, there's still a lot more development to come, but they they see him as a potential frontline, top of the rotation, number one, number two type starter down the road. So I think the fact that he's gotten to that point, he's adjusted well stateside. Um, I think he's he's potentially the next big one who we haven't heard as much yet because um, his development did get a little bit stalled by the COVID year because that was supposed to be when he was going to start coming over, coming to Florida to build himself up. So I think he's, he's one to watch that probably doesn't get talked about in the same vein as Cavalli, Henry, uh, and the, in the way that Jackson Rutledge used to, whether he can be salvaged as well is another question. He's fallen on some injuries, but I think Andrew Lara is the next big one to watch. And I think he's going to overtake a lot of um, a lot of pitches in the Nats prospect lists. Interesting. I like it. I, I like it, too. It's nice to have something to look forward to <laughs> in 2024. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. Just around the We got to take what we can get right now, right? The pickings are slim. So I'm just going to um, finish up here, Blake, on a, on a fun one. Um, All-Star Games coming up in the not-too-distant future. Since the Nats have to send someone, who do you think is going to be representing the Nats at the All-Star Game? Oh, boy. Uh, good question. Uh, is one Soto still the default answer just because it it may come down to trying to put on a show for the fans, even if he's not quite performing up to scratch. I think he'll fix himself enough by the all-star break to be included in the team. And when you've got one Soto there, the cameras are going to be on him. So I think they're, they're going to have some sort of itch to get him in the team. Is that, is that a cop out? And do I need to pick someone else? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not a cop out because you're probably right, but I, you know, I actually think that I love Juan Soto, but I actually think there are better candidates on this year's team or at least one. That's fair. I, I feel like you're getting towards potentially Josh Bell. That's um, that's an interesting one though, because you've got some first good base first is deep. Yeah. yeah. Paul, Paul Goldschmidt's practically a lock at this point at first base. Um, but yeah, that, they have to send someone. So I, I would guess so. Soto will still be my pick for now, but I think Josh Bell has a decent shot. Maybe even if he makes it in as some um, replacement late. You, you don't want to double down on your KB Ruiz take? I, I could, but I think I, I think, <laughs> I think I'm going to, I'm going to back off a little bit on that. Boo. <laughs> 
That would be fun. Yeah, I think probably you're right. It'll be Soto. Um, I think Bell probably might even be more deserving this year, but you know, it's not a straight question of who's the best one on the team. It's it's who's you know which positions. Who else is going to be competing with them at their positions? So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it as always Um, to all of you listening. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Blake. And if you don't already follow him, which of course you should, you can follow him on Twitter at Finney Blake and make sure you are keeping up with his writings as well. And uh, we will have you on again soon, Blake. Thanks so much. Pleasure as always. Thanks guys. Thanks Blake. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the cause has passed the wall to see you later. the early light of dawn well you can see they're running scared cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are and bursting in the air tell the library of congress that they might not want to look cause we're putting curly w's in every book let's go For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.